Welcome to my podcast, You Are Here For Now, a series of conversations inspired by my new book of the same name. I'm your host, artist and author Adam J. Kurtz. Each week on this show, I'll chat with some of the smartest, kindest, most generous, beautiful, amazing, talented people I know, and ask them about all of that being alive stuff that we don't always get to talk about, like passion, purpose, mortality, true love, defining success, mental illness, and figuring out what's next when you don't really know what you're doing. These conversations have already helped me so much, and I can't wait to share them with you. In this episode, I'm chatting with writers Ashley C. Ford and Mary H.K. Choi about love, family, and learning how to show up for yourself and for others, even imperfectly. Ashley's the author of the best-selling memoir, Somebody's Daughter, as well as a regular speaker, podcast host, and generally just a wonderful person to follow on the internet. Mary H.K. Choi is a writer, most recently of several best-selling young adult novels, including Yoke, and hosts a podcast called Hey Cool Job. Ashley and Mary, welcome to the podcast. Yay! Hi! It's so nice to Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's nice to see everyone and to check in. Um, I wanted to just like dive right in. Easy icebreaker. Um, are you happy? What makes you happy? Just a quick one, like <laughs> facile, facile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, facile, facile. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to start, Ashley? Um, I'm happy. I'm happy in this moment um but happiness i understand is a sensation not a condition so i know that i'm having the sensation of happiness right now because i'm just really excited to get to spend this time with the two of you and i anticipate having a good time so yeah i think anytime i anticipate having a good time (laughs) i'm pretty happy um i just had this like moment of like just glee because like hearing you talk right now is a little bit like how you are on the internet and so like I just feel like I always find you so reassuring on my timeline I'm just like oh yeah that's nice and so that that thing about the sensation really just like hits home I am happy I'm happy because I'm old and so I no longer like want and desire with the kind of fervor of my youth and so that feels really good And I'm like content, which is such a quiet thing, but as like such an addict, it's not, it's not something that like I find easy to want. And so the fact that I can like experience that is really cool and it's rad. And yeah, I'm, I'm just pumped to be here. Like, I'm just like, yay, it's people, people I like. Cause I'm mean, like reintegrating after this like whole time. It's like, I will settle for people I barely know to see them and be like so pumped so like this is really special in three different locations it's cool i feel like what you said about contentedness is so spot on and ashley what you said about and when you're anticipating a good time um for me i can and i've had i mean i've had close friends kind of have like a micro intervention and be like hey adam like when you choose to have a good time you can be the life of the party but when you're not feeling it you bring everyone down with you and i was like cool good to know good now i didn't know that people were feeling or perceiving me at all uh but glad to know i have the power to ruin an experience and and You're once like, i yay, hostages but then it, it it really made a lot of sense and i started thinking about 
you know, joy as something not just to create for myself, but to try not to rob from others. You know, mm. I think, yeah, maybe I didn't realize that I had a big personality for a long time because it was just like, that was me. And I just thought for a long time, I thought all brains were the same. I thought that the snowflakes oh, thing yeah. was true of outsides only. Like, yeah, we mm-hmm. all look different, oh, yeah. but inside we're just snow, right? Um, I was probably totally. 24 when I learned. So so that's, that's <laughs> late to clarify. Um, no, I, I same thing, though. Like, I felt like everybody had the same operating system. And when we get, like, the update for everyone to update, we all do that together. And then we're all on the same page again. Like, oh, I did not know that there were, like, other flavors of experience. And, like, it's been so awesome to be like what other people think and do and feel is none of my damn business. Cause it's so fleeting. Cause yeah. I am like capricious and have no memory. So I'm just like, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> you also just can't know. Yeah. Like you can't know. And like, and you can ask, you know, and you can decide to trust what that person tells you, but you can't really know because There's so much that we take for granted in how we talk to each other about our individual experiences that, you know, we're really only dealing with some really surface knowledge about people sometimes and think that we know something, we have some deeper knowledge based on these things. And it's like, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Like, 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 no, you don't. Like people have their own experiences going on. Right. We don't even have the same definitions really for certain words. Like I tell people all the time, like I think about, you know, something as common as the word love. It's like when you say love and I say love, we do not necessarily mean the same thing. Like we don't necessarily mean something that even works the same way or looks the same way or shows up the same way. And the way we both define love is mostly informed by the kind of love we've either seen examples of or experienced, which if we've grown up in different places, just not going to be the same. And yet we don't even ask people really, like when they say, I love you, it's like, what does that mean to you? Like, what does that mean to you when you love me? I wonder, just because I'm curious. I mean, the other thing that sort of comes up is like, (laughs) because I'm a nightmare human, I've definitely had that thing where someone's like, I love you. And I'm like, no, you don't. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot going on right there. That's a lot. You know, and like the conviction with which I have said, no, you don't to people. Like, my God, like, it's just like, it's like black and white. It's like a hundred percent. It's just, I'm like, no, you don't. And I know that because I can feel it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I feel it. I know that how you feel. Totally. And AKA, it's like, it's like or I'm hungry. Like there's so many things. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's always, always yes. so shocking. I feel like my definition of love has changed so much. And as I've mm-hmm. learned, as I've learned to understand what love is, I realized that I've actually been more loved than I knew. And I also realized that past relationships that maybe I considered like failed or I was one of those people that's like oh I never I never had a boyfriend you know until I met though I never had and then I was recontextualizing all those hangouts or or meetups or those sort of friend plus but there's a lot and I was like oh I've actually been loving and been loved by people for a while and so it was the story I was telling myself 
that I couldn't be loved or wasn't worthy of love. And it was just because I hadn't seen it modeled in certain ways. And I don't just mean like queer love model. I just, you know, my familial love was super different than than where I'm at now. Um, and and yeah, to your point, Ashley, it's there's a lot of uh, learning and unlearning to to sort of reset and redefine at various points. Don't you also feel like sometimes the only difference between having been loved and not having been loved is your own personal acknowledgement of it? It's like kind of what you're saying. Yes. It's like I I was so incapable of receiving love for so long. Like I grew yep. up in a really dysfunctional home and for me, like love was always like very like low grade Maslow's hierarchy. It's like shelter, food, mm-hmm. like money, like these things, like security. And that was it. And so like people willing to teach you something as a kind of love or people willing to ask you for something as a kind of invitation to intimacy and like people willing to give you something as, as that as well. Like everything was so transactive for me. And so it never like, it really was really interesting for a long time, unless something literally like, unless a noun exchanged hands, I was really confused about what kind of love there was. And so to this day, I find it really challenging to have intimacy and love with friends. Like I get confused a lot. Oh yeah. Because you don't have any example of it. Like the thing is, is like, we don't, I think we take for granted sometimes that even what we think of as things that should be inherent are really easy. Somebody has to teach you how to do that. Receiving love is not a thing that you just really automatically know how to do. It's a thing that's modeled for you and that you learn from the examples and the model set for you of what it looks like to graciously or even lovingly receive somebody else's love. And if you don't have real examples of that and you go out into the world and you realize that that's something that you want or something that you need, now you're in this place where not only do you have this craving for this thing and this sadness realizing the ways in like which you missed out on it, but you also don't know how to love that younger version of yourself. You don't know how to lovingly say to them, you know, like, it's okay that you didn't know nobody showed you, you know? Totally. I feel like we're, I, not to project, but it's my favorite thing to do because I'm like an infant in my mind. I'm like so immature into, like emotionally, <laughs> but so like I only project. I'm like, mm, object permanence. What is that? Um. So like, <laughs> it's exactly like I... I feel like I know you and I feel like we're all kind of around the same point of like learning how to give and receive love and like learning how to forgive and also grieve like iterations of ourselves that maybe weren't capable of that. And like, similarly, I keep a picture of myself on my fridge as a child and I'm always on that person's team. And like the kid in that isn't posing. I mean, (laughs) thank you. And it's taken a while for me to really love that kid. And like, man, like, I don't know, like, I felt so otherized by my incapability to love. And for me, for a long time, it felt like kind of like a, a normal, healthy, suburban white family was capable of it. And like, mm. that was just not available yep. to me. And like, do you know that what I mean? That full house shit. Yes, that pop culture shit. And like, yeah, you know, coming around 
this is what I love about therapy. And this is what I love about being older. Like now my friends dead ass will be like, Hey, like, this is how I'm like modeling love for you. Or like, Hey, this is an invitation with no pressure about this, <laughs> this, and this, cause you're bad at this. Or they'll like pop up and be like, Hey, you're not available to me. And I'm going to brew a nice little, nice size resentment about this at some point. <laughs> and I'm like, this is so nice. I love all of you. It's, I mean, I'm so yeah. grateful for that kind of transparency. Yeah. Me too. Cause I don't know how to read it in a lot of cases. Like I can, I can definitely read the resentment <laughs> once it's there, <laughs> but I actually have no idea. And I did this for years, had no idea why people were upset with me because I tend to be such a loner and think of it as a thing that I'm doing for them. <gasps> yes! like, like I'm Like I'm over here by myself so that you don't have to deal with me. Like, that's what I do for you. And so when somebody's like, you're not around, I'm like, that's what I do for you. I'm not around. Right. I'm not getting me on you. Right. Like, yes, yes. yes. And I'm just now getting to a place where I don't do that with people, where I try not to do that with people. And I try to be present and show up imperfectly. You know, because that was always the fear was that like, because I didn't really have examples of how people show up for each other in certain times. Like I knew that it happened in some capacity out there, but I didn't see it around me and didn't have like examples of telling me how to do that. I was scared that if I showed up, I would show up wrong. Mm. I would wear the wrong thing, have the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, not know any of the right things to have done and essentially embarrass myself and embarrass the person I love, a friend or whatever, by even trying. And now I'm just at a point where I'm like, I, I can't let that this fear of like getting stuff wrong, like the world is not my mama's house. I'm not gonna like, People make mistakes in the world. (laughs) In my mama's house, there are no mistakes. You know, in my mom's house, there are no mistakes. If you do something wrong, you did it on purpose. It doesn't matter if you actually did it on purpose. You did it on purpose because you did it wrong. Actually, out in the world, sometimes people get things wrong. And as harsh as this shit is, you get second chances and it's okay. And people who love you, who really care about you will give you those second chances to show up correctly and they'll share themselves. I could honestly listen to the two of you just tell me how to be a person forever, which you know, because I (laughs) sent you the notes for this episode and it's called how to be a person. Please tell me. And I'm just sitting here like with my mouth hanging open because I knew I needed this, but I didn't know how much I needed this. And I have to say, you know, Mary, when you commented that, you know, Ashley, sounds and acts like like what she's like on the internet you also and i'd like to think that me too like we we are people that i would consider relentlessly ourselves across platform and there is always a layer of performance in being a person but it is the same in person is the same one-on-one it is the same in a group hangout it's the same when one of you is on stage or 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 it's the same in your books like i read both of your books well i I read both of your books back to back in the last week and I just, I could listen to you both forever, but I do have a few questions that I want to ask you because otherwise I'm going to feel like I wasted my chance. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I am, I am sitting here transfixed for the listeners at home. I'm sitting here like a dumbass with my mouth open, just like shocked at my good fortune to even be in the presence of, it's a lot. It's a lot, but you know what you, you're, you two are always like this. 
you know, and I always so value, value those moments. Um, I want to ask where you are now. And I, I know the answer, but you know, it's fine. I, where, <laughs> where are you now? Where are you from? And where do you most identify with? Because I think that location and place is so tied to our respective identities and something that all three of us speak of fairly often. Um, and whoever would like to, to speak first on it. Um, I can I can start. So I'm in Brooklyn right now. I'm in New York. And, you know, I feel grief that neither of you are. Because, um, you know, that, that kind of thing is palpable energetically, I feel. And, you know, it's not zero sum. And it's not like my team lost or anything like that. But I've been here for 20 years. It is my home. I briefly lived in L.A. It was a mistake. Um like atmospherically, like water wise, like I I couldn't drink the tap water and that really messed me up in a way that I didn't you even tried to drink tap for. water in LA. That's that's social suicide. I know, I know. And but it had that stick of like raw charcoal in it. And I'm not an animal, but like no <laughs> as long as it was seven dollars or more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> like reverse osmosis filtered. Um no, it was but I really, you know, I started taking the subway again you know, after a long time of not taking the subway here. And that's why I live here. Like I'm such an egocentric, like loner and I'm selfish. I'm really selfish. I grew up with the type of like scarcity, like, like my parents were both like pretty, my mother lived in like famine and had a lot of siblings and my father had a a broken home and there was a lot of tumult. (laughs) Like we recently found out he only got his birth certificate two years after he was born because paperwork just was not a priority, like during the Japanese occupation of Korea. And I was like, oh, I was today years old when I discovered this, but this actually answers so much. Um, And so when I'm on the train and I see other people, it's a really important reminder that there are other people. And it makes me feel less lonely. And I love overhearing people. And I love everybody's interests. And I love everybody's shoes. And that is the energy of New York that will always feel like an accompaniment to like how many browser tabs I have open in my brain and how loud my brain is. It's like New York always is just like, and I'm just like, and then I'm like, oh, I'm small, you know, and that feels really good. But I would love to hear about how you're both feeling about where y'all are at um, and just the vibes. I love it. Um, I'm from Indiana, born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana home of Mayor Harry Balls and his wife, Minnie Balls. Um, That is, it's an amazing place. Home, um, resting place of one Johnny Appleseed, who some people don't think is real, but he is real. (laughs) I was about to ask. He's a real guy. (laughs) I'm not from this country. I don't. (laughs) He was definitely a a real guy. Sounds like a fable. It's fantastic, right? Um... Fort Wayne is a is a weird place. Um, it's because it's definitely like got that Midwestern and specifically like that Hoosier, like you know everybody just wants to work hard and raise their family and and drive a Ford pickup truck, and uh, clearly that can't be everybody in any one place, and sometimes uh, a place like Fort Wayne can stifle that need to be different. Uh, and definitely put a layer of frosting on it uh, and call it kindness, politeness, politeness and niceness. 
Uh, that could happen anywhere, but you know, everybody has their unique flavor and Fort Wayne has its own. So that's where I grew up. Um, I grew up in a school system that was 90% black. Um, so I grew up around mostly black people. Uh, mostly black people and uh, refugees from Burma. That's what I grew up with. And it was, I think, great. I had a great time. I was in marching band. <laughs> I was a theater kid. I was having a really, really fantastic time uh, it, with my like school life and stuff like that. My home life was different. Um, not so great. And then I went to college and kind of everything changed because college was both like an introduction. That was in Muncie, Indiana. I went to Ball State University. College was like an introduction to myself as a person apart from my family. Uh, but it was also my introduction to like white shenanigans. And so that was a different situation. Like I didn't know that people still use like tool as an insult until I was around white people. And there was a lot I didn't know. I didn't know that you could grow up in places where there were, where you just didn't have to interact with black people. And I didn't learn that until I was around white people and realized I was the first black person they had ever interacted with. Um, and I lived in Brooklyn for six years. I came there to work at a large media company and I, I left there before a year. And then I did a lot of other things for a long time, just sort of seeing what I could do. I, I kind of decided at a certain point that I just wanted to have fun and see how far that could take me. And so far, so good. And now I'm back in Indianapolis, um, not because I ran out of money, but because I just really... <laughs> <laughs> but because I just, honestly, I know that it's weird and I can definitely look around this place and, and, and see why there are people who are like, I, I would never live there. But when I drive around this place, when I have interactions with people here, when I'm, you know, having a two hour drive to like have breakfast with my dad for the first time in my life. Like that just, I don't know. It feels worth it to me. It actually feels beautiful to me. I like driving on the back roads. I like driving past cornfields. I like driving past semis. I like <laughs> roadkill on the side of the road. Like, I don't know. It's charming to me. And <laughs> so I, I, I'm back here. I, I knew that, that you were going to say that. And I love that you called out that, you know, you didn't leave because of money, because as someone who also just left New York after almost 10 years, there is there is this thing that hangs over. And, and I don't want to say just New York. I, I hate conversations that are so laser focused on one city. But but a number of big cities, when, when someone leaves, people who are there often feel like, oh, they couldn't make it or, you know, you couldn't hack it or you burned out or you crashed and burned. Like there's so much language around the failure of leaving. And to me, I'm like, to to be there and to make a choice to go in search of things that would bring you more comfort or more joy or more chance to grow the things that you want. To me, that's the ultimate success to say, Hey, you know what? Not only am I leaving on my own, but, but I'm kind of like brave enough to leave. I'm brave enough to say, Hey, I'm in what is for many people, the greatest city in the world. And I'm realizing it's not the greatest city in the world to me. 
And okay, I relax, both of you. I no believe. <laughs> Well, let me say it. I believe this, but I don't always feel it. So I'm saying the words. No, I'm walking the you know. No, it's really important. I I mean, and I like it's not a capitulation. And the truth is, and we know this, and like we know the Stockholm syndrome of living in New York. Anyone who lives in New York, the the second thing after like I love this place is like, why do people live here? Why do we have to live like this? Oh, All yeah. of that. But but uh-huh. like you know what, this past year and a half has been like seismic in terms of like reorganizing and recalibrating. And it's like that sort of home feeling that you get like in your body, like somatically, Yeah. you know, it is dictated by proximity to people who are really important to you, who are like essential to you, who are like absolutely like foundational to you. And like, that isn't just like, you know, like, vibes that is like that is like your ingredients like your ingredients are calling you to a place and like or to a person and like yes people like everyone kind of went to like everyone went home wherever that was like a lot of people went home and like everyone like I really respect that because I'm just like I want everyone to even just offer themselves a modicum of peace that is available to them and to advocate for that like fiercely because life was really really messed up yeah and it was and like particularly, life, life is indifferent it to was us. it yeah. felt particularly hard at the early days in new york i'm sure it felt that way in seattle and other hot spots and to have survived march april may of 2020 and that fear of i mean wow. we we stayed at home we left once a week for groceries monday nights at midnight to the the fancy bodega for groceries because we were so afraid Mm -hmm. and we lived a block from the bqe it was nonstop sirens in both directions and and you know my husband was ready to leave i will say i didn't go home so i to me new york is is still home um but what i what i learned through a lifetime of of moving of moving from places of of finding my own family and creating family and creating homes um, yeah. out of necessity is that that people are my home and it was a really hard decision when my husband said he was ready to leave i wanted to move apartments i wanted a balcony <laughs> you know what i mean i was like i was like babe i've been working very hard for for a long time and i've been saving up and and there will never be a more affordable time than when everyone is fleeing their nice renovated apartments let's move out of our fifth floor walk up and he was like we should move and i was like great it's settled and he was like to my hometown of hawaii which is an island <laughs> surrounded by ocean and i was like okay not what i had in mind um but, but keep yeah, talking i mean i listen i grew up in toronto in an in a ultra orthodox family and i went to a very intense yeshiva boarding school realized i was gay told one person was thrown out of school, went straight to college at 16 to a community college where I was the most sheltered person. But I I was so afraid of the world at that stage of my life that I didn't even, and I was also hiding everything I could from my family during that year that, you know what I mean? Like it didn't even occur to me to like try to branch out. And I wasn't afraid of things because I just didn't know what to, you know what I mean? It was, it was, it was really like, I was just born. Like I had to figure out how to dress. I didn't know what was cool. So I would only wear band t-shirts. My heart hurts because that's sort of like staying safe via like an algorithm that you decided for yourself. Like 
Yeah, I don't it know. was the it's MySpace just, like, time. Like, I'm just glad I didn't land somewhere else. I <laughs> it could have gone so many directions. Could have. I I wanted to be emo so bad, and and people would talk about me behind. I'll never forget this because he recently DM'd me. That's the thing about growing up and doing things and having books is that people that you don't need to talk to again sort of show up. And someone messaged me and was like, "Hey, remember me?" And I was like, "Yeah, you're the one who said I was too Jewish to be emo because I couldn't flat iron my <gasps> hair right." My hair is really thick. I just couldn't get it straight. I tried so hard. Too Jewish to be emo? The irony of that statement. Like, Jewish it's people so are some vast. of the most emo people. That's what I'm like. <laughs> We're laughing That's what I'm like. What the? So also, like, what makes, <laughs> like, also, like, what makes you more emo than just a history of rampant genocide? Like, get the out no, of No, Mary, here. it's straight like... hair. The answer is straight hair. It's okay. <laughs> the answer is straight the, it's, hair. It's, it's the straight answer is straight hair. And it's got to lie flat. Oh, man. Yeah. What I think saved me over the course of, like, especially that transition from high school to college uh, what I have struggled with most in my life is how hard it is for me to give a fuck what other people think. Mm. Like, I have a really, really hard time with it. Like, and it's not like I don't care if other people, like, are safe or, like, I don't care if other people are, like, having a good time. I just don't care if I'm your good time. Like, I, like, I personally don't, don't need that. That people. sounds like a superpower, the way you describe it. It does. I, w- I want that. Which is weird to me because now, okay, all right. So, okay, let's talk about this just a little bit. Please. Because it's not that, like, I don't care what anybody thinks, right? There are people who are very special to me and people who I care about and who I love. And I definitely care how they see me and how they experience me in their lives. Right. Like I definitely care. Like I care a lot. Like sometimes almost like too much. I care. Mm. But anybody who I don't, I'm not like directly in some way responsible for or to or you know what I mean? Like not really. Then it's like it is really hard for me to consider their opinion about anything I do. That's a double superpower because I could either turn it on or turn it off. I think I'm just now figuring out that that's not a thing that everybody can do. Because I used to think people had certain like anxieties, like especially like in school and stuff like that. Like, and people would be like, well, this person, you know, said this to me or whatever. And I would be like, I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, because in my mind, I would be like, well, how does that affect you? Like, what is that going to, what's going to happen? And they would be like, well, you know, and I, and I would be so confused because I would be like, okay, they clearly are very upset and worried. And I'm having such a hard time understanding why that is. And the more, the older I get, the more I understand why that is for some people. It's like, you're taught to always be thinking about what people think about you like out in the world, like a very image conscious thing. Like my family had like image stuff, but it was like, you just don't, it was like, you just don't let people think you're unclean or something. You don't let people think, but like kindness or like having people have a good time around you or think highly of you was not a priority. It was like, you just wanted people to know that you were clean and also that you could fight. That was pretty much essentials. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think about it all the time. Like, I feel like I'm in like, you know, I have an eating disorder. I have 
all this trauma about like, you know, growing up in a dysfunctional family, like my parents weren't addicts. And that was the most confusing thing of all, because then you could have like such an easy thing to pinpoint, not easy, but like a very difficult thing, but like a precise thing to pinpoint. Mm. But, you know, they're just like ragers and um, workaholics and just incredibly absent. And like the fact that I was raised in a very collectivist household like because of like my culture like because of my heritage because of like you know I don't know like Koreans or like East Asians like filial piety it's all about like what you do for your parents it's all all what you do for other people and right that me all the way up bad enough that I like grew up in a dead-ass British colony as an Asian person because I lived in Hong Kong it's like beyond that it's like I am an East Asian woman living in America. Like people already expect me to way after everybody to please and thank you, servitude, everything. And, and I'm also like, it's like ingrained in me, like nature and nurture that like, I should be thinking of people in that way. And it's like, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. It is the thing that gave me the most body dysmorphia. Like it's the reason why, like I had so, so many eating issues and like body obsession issues. And like, it was impossible to let people know me if all I'm doing is like being wrapped up in how you perceive me, because that makes everybody on any given day a moving target. And so my personality, my character and my appearance also had to be that fluid. And there is not anything that messed me up more than the confluence of all of these factors. I mean, like Adam, like you grew up in a very, very specific like society as well. Like, and it's all, it's always us versus them. It's always like, you know, things infiltrating, you know, just like all of that. And like, everybody wants to, to either kill you or see you die was pretty much, you know, it's like, really? Well, my, my great grandmother is the only person who got out of Europe. Like the, the whole rest of the family was murdered and we never had a moment of not knowing that, you know, and I, I talk about this in, in the book. Uh, the book is not explicitly about me, but I talk about the wall of family photos. We just had a whole wall of people who were all murdered. And it was that was the Holocaust wall. And we would go. And I still have nightmares to this day where I'm hiding from Nazis under the floor or in the closet. And I don't I, don't, I didn't tell anyone that until like this year. I told Mitchell and he actually thought I was kidding. I told my husband that I, I have nightmares about the Nazis. And he was like, what? Like in, in 2021. And I was like, well, first of all, they're very back. He's not on Twitter, but like they're back. Yeah. Um, and two, yeah. I was really <laughs> raised, like I was raised on a steady diet of this, of, of memoirs and, and just our own history. And when we talk about not seeing the representation on TV, everyone on TV had white skin like me, but the only Jewish thing was like the Passover episode of Rugrats, which we clung to and and it was a great episode. it's a really good episode someone i know just got a tattoo of uh rugrats on his leg and i was like this is a weird choice but i respect it <laughs> he did that like yesterday tommy pickles forever also like you know what when i hear you guys say this sometimes i'm like see this and i, and I think that's the thing that's hard for me to pinpoint a lot of times is like why am i like this mm. Because I also grew up in a family where fear was like, you know, it was the daily soup. It was like, this is what you should be afraid of. Like, I was taught to be afraid of men, especially um, by my grandma. 
And I was taught to be afraid of like all these things. And I was really from a very young age, super resistant to that. Like, I remember my grandma would be like, you don't want to do this or you don't want to do that. And my reaction would be like, "Ah, I'm going to go see. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I lost my confidence in the adults around me really early and felt like I had to question everything they told me. Like, I didn't feel like I could trust them to make decisions and to do things that were necessarily in my best interest. And so I needed to have all the information and I needed to have like backup, like verification. And I think one of the things that was true, like with my family or whatever, is that I grew up being very of the mindset that like with them, like I can't be a certain way or do certain things just because you think that's the right way, because you are often wrong from what I've seen. Like you don't get it right all the time. So, because you don't get it right all the time, I guess I just, for some reason, like, right. maybe that's it, but I don't really know because there was just always something that made me resistant to that, resistant to authority, resistant to like, like, I'm not a person who, when people like things, I don't want people to stop like, like, I'm not that kind of person, but I'm also not the kind of person where it's like when other people like things that that feels like a motivation for me or feels like compulsive to me that like maybe that's a good thing when other people like things that doesn't necessarily mean anything to me about what i like that's so great but well yeah. okay first first of all i just got this vivid image of you as a kid and then just the, the knowledge that you've you've been like fostering and like advocating but also reinforcing a sense of intuition from a young age and being able to parse like oh like my like the, the adults, this is this organizational system with the whole, this whole like hierarchy of adults thing seems to be a bit ramshackle. Like I figured out that, like, I figured that that was pretty sketchy. I figured that out in like, like when I was like 39. And so like, and it's, it, it actually like, it makes me so. This is the first I'm hearing about it. So thanks for that. Like, (laughs) it's like, that's like so powerful. Like it really just reinforces this notion that I have that like we're we're born as like really sort of innately pretty like perfect things. And then just like all this shit happens. Yeah. I believe I yeah. fully believe that. Like just the purity of yeah. that like that confidence like it just Yeah, I'm like I'm like I'm like making my way back there but like i'm also super curious because like you know and partly partly this is informed by having read some of the questions in advance but um we also have really good partnerships i mean not even just good just like really like nourishing i wondered if if you wanted to go here or not no i think like we're this is a really beautiful and emotionally intelligent segue but also like mary you're like a big cheese ball that's the thing about you like, like there is so much like highly intelligent, polished exterior. And then if you even so much as peel back a curtain, it's like goopy, lovey, cheese ball, <laughs> like, and it's right there. And that's one of my favorite things about you is, is that you contain all of I've it. Like, so we can I, please talk about love. We can please no, talk about both of your loves. I love, I love my partner so much. I love my partner so much. I think that he's really cute 
I think that what he like I I think he has the best taste in like music and like books and like you thinking someone has the best taste tells me that their taste is like intimidatingly good why yeah but it's it yeah. is it it why? is really you, intimidating. to me are an arbiter of taste <laughs> but he's just he's like there's a part of me that just thinks he's so cool but even beyond that it's like oh my goodness like he's so bad at certain things and like even that <laughs> is like so endearing and oh, I, I feel so like that isn't every husband no but the fact that i even know feels like such a trust fall and i'm you yes. know and i and, yes. and oh it's like his spatial like his like spatial reasoning is so bad and like his distance so bad and like fixing things oh awful and it just i see him so clearly like as this like version of him that has nothing to do with his like corporeal anything where his like his like ingredient person like his like his his essential sort of like animal in there i'm so into them <laughs> they're so cool and they're so tender and they're so kind and like the way my husband looks like when he's in repose or like the way he kind of dropped something and did this weird little shuffle to pick it up when he doesn't know anyone's looking like all of that i love it so much i love to be in communion with this like other human in my life i feel so lucky i can't believe that your husband picks things up after he drops them what's that like <laughs> It's so, it's so weird. I am just shuffling around the house with Mitchell's mom, just collecting mugs and water cups. <laughs> and like, that was one of our earliest bonding moments when we, when I first met her was like, Hey, you know how Mitchell just forgets about a drink as soon as it's empty. And she's like, yep, I'm very familiar. And then we became like best buds. <laughs> um, something that Ashley said earlier about like, um, just because a lot of people like something is not automatically going to make you interested in liking it. I was drawn to your friendship, Mary. And I, I think, I don't remember exactly how I inserted myself into your life, but I was drawn to you because my husband Mitchell is, is such a fan of your work and, and so inspired by the person that you are and your podcast and the way that you share. So I don't want to say bravely because I think all three of us are people who are probably told that word a lot now by well-meaning people who don't totally get it or it's, you know, but Mitchell just loved you. And I was like, who is this? Because I think he has great taste. So I was like, I want to find out. And, and now I get it. And I'm like, okay. And I'm so grateful to have transitioned from like your Twitter stalker to, I shouldn't say that's, that's the wrong language to use. Um, but yeah. No, we're friends and we've had a lot of meaningful conversations at like different points in our lives that have been really like just alchemizing and cool. And yeah. also like Ashley, I love your love for your love. Oh my god, Sam. Oh my gosh. I'm obsessed. I know, it's so embarrassing. It's so it's embarrassing. You're just like on I, each other's teams, and I love you. Like that. make us all yeah. love Kelly. Hardcore. Like, it, it, to, to be an Ashley C. Ford fan is to be is to be a Kelly no. fan. Heavy, you know? heavy, heavy. You have to be. You have to be because here's the thing. That is that's my like people like that's my person. You know, so like that, and I'm like, yeah, that is my person. That's also like that's my partner. Yeah. Like that's the person I chose to spend the rest of my life. Yes. If you're on my team, you're on his team. If you're on his team, you're on my mm -hmm. team. Because you know what? That's how it works. We're together, okay? His enemies are my yes. enemies. Yes, oh my God. If he don't mess with you, I don't mess with you. 
And I look like my husband is, you know, like I would say that my husband is probably the person in my life who has taught me the most about love, period. Mm. Like just love, period. Because what happens in the process of us loving each other and then only seeking to love each other like more and, and, and better is that like I am becoming a better person. Like being loved well will teach you how to love yourself well. And it is wild how that works, you know? And no, he is not perfect. He's not perfect at all. He got tall too quickly. I hate when that happens. And now he knocks everything. Oh, that's so cool. But that's like, so actually, and it's okay, but it's no, I'm sure that there's moments, but like, as like, a phenomenon to share space with like there's something so like fundamentally endearing about that and i love the way you position it, it is like, he just grew too, too tall too fast i'm like oh, oh. <laughs> yeah that's how i think of it in my heart it's weird like because i'll find myself like looking at him or watching him when he's just like hanging out or like doing stuff or when he's like just living his life. And like, it's kind of like even in his own world. And you're right, Mary, it feels like this weird honor to like catch him doing like weird little, like by himself stuff because he's not by himself, he's with me. And it's like getting a peek behind this veil and it's lovely. And it's like, it's been really great for both of us discovering, you know, even something as simple as like, the more you share with me about you, the more I'm in love with you. I'm just in love with even more of you. Like now I have more parts to love. Like when you share more of yourself with me, this is even better. Like this is okay. Like this is good. And it's, it's wild to be in like, to be engaged in actual expansive love because that's like love's function. Like love's function is to expand. And so when you're in real expansive love, it's like, it's not that everything's easy. It's just that everything works. It's just that like, you know, and you have this faith that you just don't, you, it's like, no matter how hard it is right now, I know that there's a way for us to work on this. I know that there's a way for us to find a way to be good to each other right now. And discovering that together is wild. And beautiful. Hearing you vocalize all those things that I feel so deeply is so rewarding just now in this moment. Like I'm just sitting here with like a corny because it it is that. And especially for someone who maybe hadn't understood love for a long time. And, you know, like it took me being so clearly loved in the way that my dumb, like deep in the onion brain, like in a way that permeated all of that. It took that for me to realize that that love had always been there and that I was capable of it. And then when I realized love was real, I had to parse through what other emotions I maybe wasn't feeling correctly. Like it, it was part of my mental health journey just to realize that there was, yes, it was like all of a sudden things were clicking and like pop songs were real. You know what I mean? Like everything, (laughs) the color came back and I, you know what I think of it as in my head, I've always thought of, like, not always, but like a lot, my, my husband loves, like he grew up on like Indiana Jones, right? Very problematic now. He grew up on them when they weren't so problematic. And he loved those as a kid. And one of the things that like, for some reason, like I had this dream one time where like, 
my like my heart like like the love and like my heart was like this actual like little like flame mm. and it's like he had to like find me with like this like staff with this rag that was wrapped in gas and he had to go and find that flame and then light every other pathway mm. like and I had to walk around and light the rest of them up and it was like waking up the castle right the sleeping castle that's how you did it with this flame and like that's kind of how i've thought about love ever since it's like you just like when you love somebody and you want them to feel more loved you just got to go find their spark and you got to add some gas to it and let that flame go you got to let it spread like and, and and just be happy with what happens be happy watching what happens as I've become a person who love has changed, my husband has loved even more deeply the person I have become as a person who understands and loves themselves well. And that's true vice versa. And I think that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah. Totally. I love that. First of all, the pilot like thing, I'm just like, oh, yes, yes. And then the castle, yes. And like, yeah. you know, the thing that, yes, it's, yeah, it's almost like a kind of an emotional, like the way like neuroplasticity works. It's like that same kind of like genuine, like new synaptic, like synaptic pathways thing. It's like, now that I am loved, the funny thing that happened with us is that because the narrative for us for so long was like, I'm damaged and he's healthy. Mm-hmm. And the more like we sort of like grew our love into this, like, again, this like, expansive and like kind of like subversive and kind of disruptive thing. Like he became more imperfect. Yes. Like he, there was like that mutuality and that trust where it didn't, I didn't get to be the damaged one anymore. And so we were just two very imperfect things. And the result of that has been like completely unbelievable and like so unpredictable. Like I like animals more. I don't, Mm. I think this is- Love will do that to you. I'm like ready to get a dog. That's what I'm saying. And like, I like trees more. I don't, I don't understand. I like look at trees and I'm like, man, you guys just communicate and you're just so giving and beautiful and like- the root system. The root system talking, you know, the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, planet Earth. Yeah. How amazing. You know, and I right. just feel like that person, like, why do birds? No, just like something. Yep. It's just like, and I'm so much more sensitive when people are mean to each other. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh. And doesn't it hit you different now when people when people that you love self-deprecate? Yes. I'm not into It'll it anymore. Different. <laughs> anymore you used to like laugh and be like yeah you are a shit bird <laughs> and then suddenly like you accidentally see the pain behind their eyes when they say that and you're like wait a minute no i don't like that you're not a shit bird you can't talk to yourself like that anymore i don't like totally. it totally it goes from like you know it like i was always sunglass emoji like sardonic cynicism blah 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 i find that so hard to believe mary i was for so long but and like now i'm just shiny eye emoji all the oh. time i'm like do you feel that way about yourself? <laughs> like in this moment, like, and I don't yeah. know, like it, 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 it hurts. And like, I mean, Adam, as soon as you learn you, to read between the lines, you can't stop. And sometimes totally. that can be difficult. But don't you think it's like, I mean, Mitchell's so sensitive and like yeah. so truthful about it. Yes. I, you know, I, I, I'm loving this pilot light in the castle metaphor, but, I feel like I had the pathways. I just, the doors were closed so tight that there wasn't enough oxygen for the flame. Like I needed love to open 
the windows so that the flame, you know, had something to feed off of. And as soon as the windows were open, I was ready to go. The paths were there. Yeah. I just needed that. And and Mitchell really did that for me. And what also, Mary, when you talk about being the ill one, I was the ill one. I'm still the ill one. But but when we met, and I'm not I'm not ready to talk about this, and so I won't, but very early in our relationship, I I hit the lowest and darkest point of my life. And I hope to never be there again. And to have someone who helped carry me through that at that stage in a relationship was such an incredible and undeniable and powerful, raw display of love. That's when I mean, when I say like I was so deep that I couldn't have seen it unless it was obvious. That was as obvious as it, that was as obvious as it could get. And that is when I understood that this was not just going to be my boyfriend or even just my partner, but like we were going to do this world together. And when I proposed, it wasn't on one knee in a restaurant. It was like a three hour conversation in bed at two in the morning about how hard life is and how sure I am that the, the clearest way for us both to survive it would be to go at it together and to meet each other, meet each other's needs and fill in the gaps and the things that I am good at he is not always great at and the things that I can't I just can't seem to get come so naturally to him and part of that is the way he's he's emotional and emotive and communicates his needs not always because he's still Asian but you know we're getting there <laughs> I was gonna say. Um, he feels them he doesn't always speak them whereas I speak and I don't always feel so we really have yeah oh man yeah I want to tell you Adam you know, just because, like, I feel like that was something really, and I know that's just you being you, but that was something really lovely. And I think, like, it makes me feel really honored for you to share that. But I want you to know and not feel alone in this moment, even though that's your unique experience, that I had a very similar, very similar situation. When Kelly moved in a month later, not even a month later, my grandma died. It was like two or three weeks and my grandma died. And I fell into like pretty much the worst depression that I'd been in in my life. And we had a really scary moment where we weren't together. We were in different places and I was in a really scary place and he couldn't do anything about it. And when I got back, you know, from where I had been and returned home, he kind of fell apart on me, mm. you know, not in like a bad way, like not like he left me, but he fell apart and made it very clear that um, I was important to him in a way uh, that my my loss, my giving up on me would affect him in ways that like I hadn't considered I could affect anyone. Yes. That my presence, that whether I was here or not here could affect anybody. And I think that's when I started to wake up to, oh my God, like, okay, I have to be more careful with me because of how much I care about him. And that was a beginning of me figuring out how important it was, you know, not just for me to be with this person, but for us to be with each other. Yeah. I didn't know he wanted to be with me as much as I wanted to be. And then I did. Yeah. Thank you. Um, 
where can we find each of y'all online? Um, I'm in I y'all's mentions. On <laughs> Perfect. Y'all's mentions. <laughs> y'all's That's what mentions. I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I'm at choitotheworld.com very rarely, if at all. Um, but yeah, we're mostly on the internet. And I have so much love for this conversation and for both of you. And yeah, say hi to yeah. Kelly and Mitchell. I will. Please I do. Will. Thank you so I will. much for say hi to Mitchell. Say hi to your boo, Mary. I will. Love you. Okay. Bye bye. Love you guys. Bye. See you. You've been listening to You Are Here For Now, the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And pick up a copy of my book, You Are Here For Now, for yourself or someone you love at your favorite bookstore or adamjk.com. Until next time, be kind to yourself and remember, you are here, but you're not alone.